0: This is Van Electric Ghost, and we're live on the air with Martin Tice for the first time. And we're th- glad to have you on the program. How are you feeling tonight or, t- or this morning? Depends on where you are.
1: <laughs> it is it is. Uh, it is 3 p.m. where I am at. I'm feeling good. Thank you. I've, I've been looking forward to to uh, meeting you and having this conversation today.
0: Well, thank you. And we do have to mention Newsly. They are a sponsor. Our podcast is on Newsly where you can stop scrolling and start listening. Use coupon code GOES2021 to get one month free premium subscription. As I said, we will be on Newsly later tonight. And they're a great app. You can get in iOS store or Android and check that out. Um, they are a supporter of the podcast. So we'd like everybody to you know, check it out on Newsly if you want to listen to the audio version of what we're going to talk about tonight. So one of the first things I always talk to people about is um how did you actually get into like social media or get your your kind of name out there or, or what you're doing like where did you start um that you can remember um Ooh.
1: that's a good question so uh i'm currently in the process of help, having help help uh getting help with my social media so i haven't been too actively involved but um i would say i started I started, I'm with the coaching business that I'm kind of like promoting and working in right now. I started with my website. That was my first internet presence. And then from there, I used YouTube because I had recorded some ambience recordings in Hawaii and I uh, made some videos to just have people be able to listen to oceans, waves and uh, sunset and sunrise and these things. So YouTube was probably one of the early, early places where I started.
0: So were you always a musician at the beginning? Is that what you started with?
1: Yes, I would say everything starts with uh, music in my life, pretty much. And uh, I, I hope I hope it continues. It's been a it's been a little calmer. Not as mm-hmm. much creative output, not as many songs, but I'm looking forward to buy a ukulele here while I'm in Hawaii and to start playing oh, again.
0: Oh, you're learning that? You're learning you're the ukulele?
1: Yeah, it's kind of like uh, I've, I've been playing it a while now, but I don't own one. So oh. every time a friend comes over, I'll play with his and, and enjoy playing, but I didn't have my own.
0: I always ask musicians one of the things I know that's not the primary thing you're into now, but like when do you remember that you got into music? Just just for a little background.
1: Like what, so, what
0: year or age do you remember being in? Yeah.
1: So I went to early um, early musical school development, something like a kindergarten pre kindergarten music development music. where kids get to play with uh, music and learn about it so that's my first memory of music and then after that um my 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 memories I would say start with learning to play the keyboard and I was probably around six seven at the time mm-hmm. so you were like an organist or like a synthesis or a
0: or, or piano player which what type of keyboard?
1: just a, a, I would say a keyboard keyboarder you know so i learned i didn't learn to play uh, a dynamic left hand so i played chords with my left hand and okay. played melodies with my right and um i think i was too lazy at the time that i didn't practice enough for be for it to be able to to develop into something sophisticated so whenever we started something more difficult with the left hand i was just like not prepared enough but um it helped me you know later later when i when i started to play the guitar my the the playing fashion is pretty similar i'm not a, a melodic guitarist so i play chords with my left hand which is kind of like the same as with the keyboard you know so yeah, yeah. i would say i'm a i'm a rhythm guitarist and keyboarder and when i played uh in a reggae band i played a uh, synthesizer i played melodies so Mm -hmm. that was coming in again
0: that's interesting i started on clarinet and then i went to keyboard because i needed a writing instrument not that you can't write on the clarinet but really like songs are written on a guitar or a keyboard and i i like the fact that a keyboard could build the whole thing that, that's yeah. been my claim to fame is like, OK, when you become a synthesis, then you actually try to mimic a bass, mimic a, a violin, yeah. mimic the, the breath on a sax. And I Absolutely. just don't. Um, yeah, that's the whole thing. But I'll, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll go too far with that. So I'll get to one of the questions that you had on your um, on, on on the um, website that we found you um, is um, to ask you, like, what is a totem animal? So you maybe can explain to people what that is.
1: Yeah. So, uh, it's basically our, our potential or our self showing up as an animal form, you know, or in an animal form. So a totem animal is, um, for me, for me, um, I found my main totem animal is a panther, for example, and I'll just say, say that because it's easier to relate to. And so, uh, when I look at a leopard, for example, how it, how it, how it lives, how it hunts, how it eats, how it sleeps, how it's kind of like dealing with enemies. And we're talking about, I mean, this is a, a great gap from talking about music, but um, it helps me to see where where uh, my challenges are and how that animal deals with certain things. And it's a little bit like a zodiac sign, maybe, you know, we, we mm-hmm. see certain elements that help us and that's where we resonate with, uh, certain aspects of our character or our inequalities and other aspects maybe we don't see so much or don't relate to as much. And this the same is true with the totem animal. It just helps us to grow into our potential and to develop into like uh, into a full potential in that sense.
0: Well, I'm a part um, Blackfoot and Cherokee and in my family they there was a big was a lot of affinity toward toward nature and also kind of a, a similar concept to the totem animal, just spirit animals, you know, yeah, eagles, like very mm-hmm. big in, in indigenous culture and, yeah. and black culture. Is like, you know, the, the bald eagle, any kind of eagle, hawks. Um A lot of birds have different aspects within spirit, you know, spirit animals. But yeah, I've always, I was always drawn into the woods. I was a kid. I was, a, I, I was a mountain biker. And I love going in the woods and actually kind of communing. And I found that I could actually, I don't know if it was the Blackfoot in me, but if I found a deer, I could actually be so quiet, they would come up to me and I could I, like pet them. like wow. I, could, I could talk to beavers. I could talk yeah. animals, could come to me and they wouldn't get scared. And yeah. I don't know if I was kind of channeling my kind of indigenous past or like realizing that I could channel it, realizing yeah. I could feel it. Because I had talked to my grandparents, my great-grandparents who were, you know, indigenous from Cherokee or Blackfoot. And I felt what they were telling me yeah and then when I went out in the woods I kind of felt like well okay I need to kind of listen to Gaia I need to listen to nature and then not try to just you know do my my human thing of like trying to control everything kind of listen to what's going on which I think is maybe kind of what you're talking about with like total animals. you can kind of feel that kind of thing right
1: yeah absolutely I mean've I've never been in the presence of uh, a leopard for example like in a, in, a, in the wild. <laughs> I saw mm-hmm. one in the zoo but um, I, from from hearing what you say that's a great that's a great gift you know to to bring our ourselves so much down to be able to connect with nature and that animals are approaching and that you can communicate with them that's that's a special everybody has that but it's a special treat you know in that sense to be able to connect with that.
0: Yeah. I think it just makes you understand that like, you know, the earth is important. It's like, it's not something you're trying to just, Oh, I can just leave. And I, I, you know, I don't have to care about guy. I yeah. don't have to care about you. You should like understand the connection. That everything's important. Like the hand is important. You know, yeah. The, the, the stream is important. You just don't pollute it just cause you feel like you can. <laughs> to, to make a profit, but I say I'll go a different direction. But um, so, so one of the other questions you had is like why you're in Hawaii, um, because you have a vision and you and you have wanted to have a sanctuary in Hawaii is, you know, why did you feel that that's a good place to be? Because that's where you are right now, right?
1: That is where I'm at right now. And it is it's been a question that has been um, going around in my head for quite some time and between my head and my heart. And uh, I, I went to different places I went to the Canary Islands because that was much closer to Germany where I'm originally from and where it's a little bit similar geog- geography geogra- geography sorry <laughs> and um, and uh, so I, I've been looking in and in listening into places and the reason why I feel the the vision the, in the first intentional vision was of hawaii or jamaica one of those two because i have a really strong relationship through the reggae music to jamaica as well but um i went out when i came here for the second time in 2018 it just felt like the right place because the energy is just so healing in that sense it is uncompromising in a sense and i just experienced that again when i arrived two weeks ago that there is just certain things in me that that it brings up which are uncomfortable and where it is painful to go through that. But it in overall, the overall experience is that it's very healing and very, very, uh, a good place to heal and then to go back to the community and bring that, bring that back into the communities where we live and to, to help others to go through similar things. And so the sanctuary is just meant to be a place where people can come and um, heal, you know, even though, it is. It is very far away. I, I always saw it as a place where people can just come, without it being a special retreat or something luxury, where you need a lot of money to be able to come. But more like for every people, the all the people, in that sense. That that is uh, the fast answer to that question.
0: So this, so this is like your your now your primary location for light trails. Your company. Your um. Your practice is this like, or is it still like located in Germany,
1: or is it? No, the 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 practice is located in Germany, um, and I'm um, I'm not as much in Hawaii as I would like it to be, but it's still more than more more time than than most people get to spend here. You know, at least from from the point of view of all the people I speak with in Germany and my clients. So uh, the, the the practice is based in Germany, and I I will probably split the time between Germany, Norway, and uh, Hawaii. When I and I, I'm my passport is running out next year, and I need to apply for a new visa, so I will probably get a working permit in that sense that I get to stay in Hawaii and offer workshops and be be legally here and offer stuff so people can participate and uh benefit from that that does sound
0: like a good sanctuary because hawaii is like that is a destination that a lot of people would be very happy to go to and then to have a your your light like is incorporating that into that location that's pretty fantastic norway i mean i've talked to a lot of musicians from norway i've always wanted to go there because of the type of music i do there seems to be an affinity for electronic music yeah. In, in that location. And also in Germany, like Berlin, Brian, you know, but that's always been like, Oh, I need to go to Berlin. I want to go to Norway. I want to go to Iceland. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Those are places I want to go. And I actually did talk to a producer in Hawaii last year and was in one of my bedroom producer festivals. It was a member of one. I do these concerts and I got introduced to that kind of Hawaiian culture through that person connection I had But yeah, it is. It is something. My brother did live in Hawaii when he worked uh, for the Navy, and I, you know, I did get to travel there one time to visit him. But um, I really haven't been there a lot, so yeah, I know it's fantastic from what I remember. (laughs) (laughs) But but, um, so, so you're maybe we could talk more about light trails so people can. What you're doing with it? Your coaching practice. Yeah.
1: So um, basically, I'm. I'm. I created a program it, it took a little bit it took a little time for me to develop that i i started this practice some years ago but it didn't really go anywhere and then i made some music in between and got back to the coaching practice again last year and so uh what i do is i work with shamanic journeys that's related to the question that you asked with the totem animal or spirit animal where we journey from this ordinary reality that we are connecting in and talking in right now that this reality where other people say that's the only reality and then we travel into non-ordinary reality the place where we go to sleep and dream or when we have some kind of um maybe ayahuasca trips or anything where where it is different but it's still kind of like coherent experiences mm-hmm. and these shamanic journeys i work with my clients and i have a program where we go from uh the first session to session 16 where people just get help in creating their dreams and creating their goals you know it's not always it's not always done in 16 weeks but at least they're much much closer by the time they leave than they have been before we started you know so that's the basic the basic gist of it doing shamanic journeys
0: that's like from like a shaman kind of point of view, so maybe people could understand like the role of a shaman and how you see it in your practice.
1: Yeah, can you can you uh, explain or give me uh, that question again, please? Uh, maybe you can explain to the
0: audience the role of a shaman in in, in, in your practice. Like, like what, okay. what, what that role, how that, cause people ain't know what a shaman is from their own yeah. interpretation or somebody else's interpretation of it, but I would kind of want to see how you view your role as a shaman.
1: That's a good question. You know, so I see the, the role, my role as uh, the, the guide and the person who holds the space, who's um, kind of like making sure the person isn't, is held energetically and then my definition of a shaman would be a person who is able to wander worlds and to wander time between time and space kind of like and that is all tied to that non ordinary reality right mm-hmm. so me having had so much experiences through my training and through my through my ex, like my, my experience in these shamanic journeys i know A lot of the places where my clients are going and so i'm able to help them go through it and to stand by you know usually i just in in simple terms if somebody would look from the outside they would just see me drumming while the other person is laying on the floor and and having their eyes closed you know but i'm i'm helping the people to find their or to to kind of like find their way in a sense i'm just there and then later when, uh, when we talk about what they experience, I help them to sometimes, if they need the help, sometimes they know perfectly well what they, what they saw and what it meant, but sometimes they don't really know what it meant, what, what visions came up and what they saw. And so I help them to just Interpre- see that, things. you know, okay. interpret it maybe, or give them my suggestion how I would see it and they can, they can feel if they resonate with my, with my point of view or not in that sense, you know, so I'm basically a guide following along.
0: So like a non um, um, ordinary reality, or is it, is it something that's like not linear that like, it's like some people think of things like they're very linear. It's very sequential. Like things go from like left to right, you know, but is it that you always go right to left or it could go inside out or go in between to go out, you know, outside in, is it like very dynamic? Yeah. So I,
1: Absolutely, I would say the 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 beauty of non ordinary reality is that it's nonlinear. It it is a holistic place where time and space are different. You know, so we can actually journey into the future or journey into the past through certain things. Help help our like me for example, when I when I go into a traumatic situation that reveals itself that I want to heal. I go back into time and I help myself going through that. And I know, know that I went through that in that certain way because I had been there. So it's kind of like mind, mind um, uh, boggling stuff sometimes, but the non-sequential of it is, is a great aspect why it is so powerful, you know, that we can do certain certain things that affect our reality and help us to make changes in our current situation that uh, are, are yeah, just helping us in, in other ways than when when we do it in this chronological time sequential way.
0: So, so in your practice, do you encourage people to kind of take diaries of, of their dreams and like write it down or just to try to re- speak it out from what they remember without writing it down? Is there any kind of thinking of taking a diary or a log?
1: Yeah, I, I encourage them to to log it and to write it down. You know, that uh, the uh, the journey. Sometimes, sometimes I look through my notes of journeys. I I did a dream diary for a couple of years, but I stopped doing that. But um, when I look into these notes, it's all it's always interesting to see what information was there that I missed at that time. You know, so mm-hmm. that, that's that's great. Yeah, there's yeah. there's great value in these notes, you know, I same kind of as,
0: of <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the things I like to do is I like to just, you know, when I record, I just put my multitrack on and I just do what I call a stream of consciousness rehearsal. And I kind of got it from like Frank Zappa and Neil Young, my heroes, as they used to say, well, like, we're just going to put the reel on and just play. And yeah. then we go back. And Zappa was famous for taking stuff from like concerts and wherever he was doing. And he come back to his house and they have pictures of him in his room, living room, with all these reels. And he's just got his headphones on and he was taking stuff from live shows, from studio shows, and he would cut the tapes. He would just like cut them. It was very nonlinear. He would just say, oh, I'll take this thing from this thing, this thing, and like mix it up. And I've been very much a big proponent of streamer of consciousness. And kind of taking like random voltage and making an analog LFO like drive a drum beat, kind of kind of chaotic, but have some strange like you know because it's like this unknown factor. Everybody's always trying to do something really so controlled today. So people trying yeah. to have things are so perfect. I like the happy accidents. I like the imperfections. That's what I like in music. I like like fusion jazz, you know, or you know, like bebop, or somebody's gonna go off and then come back. And you don't know all the time what they're gonna do. And that to me is the whole journey in music as I like that random randomness that could happen.
1: Absolutely. And it's beautiful, you know, when when whenever I, I get into that groove and I just play and I just sing certain things, and when it just like when it just grooves, when it's just flowing, you know, without me knowing what's happening next, what words are coming out of my mouth, what melodies am I playing. It is beautiful, but it is it is so representative of the current moment that is fleeting. We can't we can grasp onto that because the moment we grasp, it's over, right? So it's yeah. it's a it's That's a, why a you're very recording. special place. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Well, I try to do recording because then I get point in time stuff, and then I can yeah. actually because tech I can sample it. Yeah. Then I can actually take that point in time and actually own it. Yeah. And so some of the new tech is I can take point in time stream of consciousness. And then I can still replicate it with my multi-track. If I yeah. had to play that, maybe I couldn't actually play it, but I can multi-track it and then sing over it. And then maybe do a different line over it. So I mean Trent Reznor and his guys do that at nine inch nails. They do do a lot of that. I was studying how they how they actually record. And they say, Yeah, we did these random playing times, and we actually bring our reels and our multi on stage, and then we run them through effects to rip them up again. But we actually have them as the original master and then we rip them up and i'm like yeah that's brilliant i was like and i said well i'm gonna do that so Mm -hmm. i've been doing for the last 10 years but um yeah i just think um non-linear thinking is like where my head's at lately yeah as as an artist when i was younger i was always trying to clone something and now i just like i just let it go i like i feel like there's the universe is going to tell any artist like the muse talks to a poet talks to any musician we we can channel it. That's part of a skill of a creator is like, I can take all those inputs within and without, and I can just get that groove. And people was like, well, you're like in a trance. Yeah. You come out of a concert. like You try to ask me what I was doing. Like, I don't know. I, I just yeah. got into the groove and I don't even know what I was doing. <laughs> you know, but I think that's what it is. I mean, when you're a musician, you kind of get into, it. you got the muscle memory, you got the skill you've been playing 20 years. You just can do it. And if you try to describe it, it's hard to describe because, you know, I think that's when you're a mentor or something, you kind of know your groove for what you're trying to teach, right? You're you're trying to teach people and you, maybe it's hard to describe exactly where your thoughts are coming from, but you kind of, you know it, you own it,
1: right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, I I guess there's a, there's a great, uh, at least sometimes a great trust in that, uh, things will work out, you know. So, if we look at this, this is a maybe a, a, a trend, a, a transference, or something we can look at into life from music into life, where we, we realize because we practice, we practice that, that in the end, we we come out like fine, you know. Maybe sometimes we're, as a, at least I am, sometimes stuck somewhere, uh, improvising and it doesn't really go. But if we keep on going, keep on keeping on, then. At some point, it, it resolves itself, and then it goes back into yeah into a flow I mean, again. It's
0: kind of like the idea of, like, do you start or stop because you miss something, or do you go with it? And it's kind of like in life. Do you, do you let that mistake make you go all the way back to the beginning?
1: Mm, yeah. You
0: recover. And I've always tried to say, you know, that's like a life lesson. Can I go on to these mentor web um, podcasts, and people say, well, how, you, how does music relate to my mentoring? Well, because... If I'm a musician and I say, like, if, we, if you roll with your group and you don't go, oh, we got to stop, stop the whole recording, go right back to the beginning. No, I'm going to roll with what we did. We did a bad key change. We're going to go with it. And that's kind of like life. Do you do you get totally thrown off track and then you don't know what to do? And you're just like you just done? Like, oh, you got to walk off stage because they made a mistake? Or do you roll with it
1: and keep on going? Yeah.
0: You know, it's a different philosophy as a point of view like can you recover can you not recover
1: yeah and there's there's a, a there's a german um hip-hop band from from my my old days uh and they had a line where it says we have to accept errors because life is a one 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 take you know you, it's just like we we don't have another take we have to accept that yeah, there's an error go and going. just keep on keep on going you know yeah yeah,
0: yeah. I'm a big proponent of that I mean, i know they, yeah. Some people are going to make you go back and do it again. If you're trying to score a film, the guy wants it to be X. It's like, okay, X has got to be that. So I got to do that. Okay. I get it. But um, <laughs> if I'm doing something I want to do for myself, it's like, maybe I'm not doing that. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: But, but um, so it's one of the thing I was looking at was this, um, the idea of a circular economy of supporting your sanctuary as well as the uh, local communities. Can you explain how, how that works in Hawaii? Does that also work in Germany, wherever you do it, or Norway? Is like that, that that's your overall kind of circular economy approach? Maybe explain to people what that means.
1: Yeah, so the, the my basic understanding, and I might be wrong, is that circular economy is not usually in in, in in the capitalistic model of economy, we look at something is making money and then there is this value chain where value increases and at some point at the end of this chain, there is someone who earns money from it. And the circular economy model is, has the idea of going, bringing money back to the origin where, the, where, the, where this product started as well. So if we look at coffee, which would be one of the income drivers for the sanctuary, the people who grow the coffee earn the smallest amount and the people who roast it and sell it earn the most and so to look at how can we bring back value to and money back to the places where it originated and how can we support the communities how can we support the culture because Mm -hmm. uh we we want to get away from this model of the global north uh ruling over the south and kind of like having that that
0: yeah it's, it's kind of like unfair i mean if you look at it yeah i've always been a big proponent but you look at if i actually if i lived in japan that's it's a, it's a capitalist country but it's more socialistic in some ways um but not every way but but the other idea is like what you just mentioned is like if you're if you're taking raw materials from africa or central america or from anywhere like Colombia, and you know people don't get paid for the process, you know, process materials, they, they get more money. And so the, the people who go and do the process, they suddenly clean up and the person who was just going, getting the raw material, they get nothing. My pop, my grandpa was a coal miner. So, you know, he kind of knew that. Like when they took the coal out the ground, he's getting like the lowest amount of the low, Right. Yeah. And then they, once they take it and they process it and give it to the, to the auto plant or they give it to the power plant, they were making way more money than the coal miners coal miners are like tied to the company store and they got them like on this revolving door and they had like constant debt yeah you know it was like hard to get out of because it's the kind of way they wanted to run it you know my grandpa finally he got out of it and started building houses because he took, he learned he took what he learned because they had to be a carpenter an electrician and a plumber in the mine and he said well you know what i can make more money doing that than being in the mind, so it's like he took the skills he learned in the mind. As I forget the mind, I'm going to do this, and so, yeah, he's like he kind of got out of it because he saw it wasn't going anywhere. They like kept on tying him to the company store, and they're like, whoa, that that's a ripoff. <laughs> but like I can't, I, you must see the same kind of dynamic, and you're trying to fix it.
1: Yeah, you know, so uh, there there is a great demand for, for uh, money usually in, in those countries where a lot of the products are originating from. And there's just like so many different examples. But when we look at, at what, what could we do with a part of that money, we're not talking about all the is going back, but at least a part of the money. So we pay higher wages so that the people can make a living from that and don't have to work 20 hours or having three different jobs. In yeah. order to provide a living. And then additionally, it is about uh, strengthening the communities and the and the, the places where those people live, because it is it is about sharing, you know. So a circular economy wants to um, create a win-win situation for everybody who's involved in that value chain where the farmers, the the maybe the shipping, everything is it is about more value uh, a distributed value but also about sustainability at least to me circular economy doesn't involve in that wording a sustainable aspect or a regenerative aspect but for me since we are dealing with quite uh, some serious issues with uh, in terms of climate change and other things of the pollution so i feel like it, it should be our focus in order to to yeah, a, create a future that is more welcome. More more workable for us as a as as a species, as you mentioned, dealing with nature, or not dealing, but kind of like being with nature rather than yeah, it, ruling yeah. over nature and making yeah, profits I, I, off there, of it.
0: Yeah, Calvinism versus like an indigenous belief in that Gaia is important and you don't yeah. hurt Gaia. But if you think you rule Gaia, you don't have that point of view. If you're a Calvinist type of point of view. It's like I can rule nature. And then what did you get? Yeah, the the fouling of all the rivers in Europe and the fouling of all the rivers in the United States. When the capitalist industrial industrial era within 300, 400 years, you fouled all the rivers, you know, that's, that's a very positive thing, right? <laughs> so he's like, that's not considering that nature is important. You thought that your profit was more important. So you didn't care. You threw the mercury in there, you threw all the other things in there and now it's all over the whole planet. And you're like, Oh, Oh, you didn't think about that. I guess not. But, um, that, that's that's one of the things that really gets me um, going in terms of um, like the idea that we have this trickle down like oh if I let the top 1% have more wealth and I don't mandate that they need to pitch in for public works or anything going on that they're somehow gonna magically do that right It's like 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 you know, it doesn't happen like the fire department can't be made to be for profit. Or, or everything will burn
1: yeah
0: <laughs> right so so the idea that you don't have to ask them to, to help build the highways or fix the water um the, the utilities or fix the the um you know treatment plants because oh they'll just magically decide to do it no they don't they buy super yachts they buy Ferraris, they do all these other things they don't do that so sometimes you have to mandate that that will be done or, or they won't do it the idea that they will go and do it is not true we've been shown that they don't do it.
1: Yeah, and and I totally agree, but I I hope at least in my utopian view of the future that I that I sometimes perceive when I when I'm not totally depressed by the way everything's going um is that we that it is a, a process that has both angles, you know, it is about being a, a an example and being a role model for others and to to let them see and experience that pain you know it is just in my personal view if you ask me people who are able to to just stand by and see what's happening are probably disconnected from their emotions and from their humanness from their connection to the earth right and so by mm-hmm. healing that and the sanctuary for me it is at least it is is at least Part a of great sleep. opportunity to teach people to come back to themselves. And to feel that it is important to take care of the the planet, you know, that it's our home, that it's that it's our our kind of like only place where we belong in that sense. You know, it's not about going to Mars or other planets to to find another planet to inhabit. But it is this is our home, you know, so we 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 better take good care of it.
0: Yeah. Unless we like we start doing the whole idea like, okay, we, we can go to Mars, we can go to the moon, we can go to asteroids and we don't have to care about what we do here because we can just go somewhere else and build a dome. And, and then we, you know, okay, fine. But I think, yeah, it's like if you can heal people and make them understand that empathy is not weakness, right? That, that caring for your fellow man is not, uh, uh oh, that you're, 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 you're being ripped off. Like, no, yeah. it's like the idea that you help somebody who is in a lower position is not something that's silly or it's weak and it, it seems like today with certain types of individuals, there's a thought that, well, that's a weak, weak, you know, if, if you aren't wealthy, then you're, you're a criminal, like the, you're, you're a bad person because you're not working hard enough. And the idea that you're kind of demonizing people who are less fortunate because you're not understanding structural, structural systems yeah. within the society, they're causing that to happen and then you, you're blaming a victim. And that's, that's not really very empathetic or very forward-thinking for humanity. So I think anything, anybody who does anything to try to change their mindset with what you're doing or, you know, another way, you know, political activists, what they do, I think that's very positive.
1: Yeah, and I think the the, the important thing that you mentioned is the, the judgment in itself. There's so much judgment and uh, so little empathy, and I feel uh, that... Uh, Especially in in a time where uh, racism and fascism is on the rise again in, in Europe, I don't know how it is here. I just uh, know <laughs> that today is there. There is this big Trump um, thing on TV because my auntie was watching that. But there is so much, so much. Uh, there's such a great divide that it is important to to come together, you know, and to let go of that judgment and to be be together in in that. Because I. I believe we can only uh, solve solve the the issues of the time when we come together, and we have a chance if we don't use it. That chance. I just watched "Don't Look Up" yesterday, the movie with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, mm-hmm. and I think it's a great movie because I was asking myself what I don't I don't get the movie, but I think I get the movie now that it is about climate change, that mm-hmm. the asteroid is being depicted as we could have done something really early but we chose not to because of profit and so at some point we miss the opportunity to do something about it you know and then the the earth will continue but humankind as we know it will probably not and so it is it is what it is you know but i see I, i i see that we can come together and solve this and it is an opportunity to grow you know
0: well, I think every every anything that's positive um, that looks into humanity and tries to bring us together rather than separate us into different camps. And, then, you know, there, there, there's always been this kind of divide and conquer that people who want to control things don't always have the best interest of the planet in, in, in mind. You know, so so if you if you have people who like, you know, we have we have things going on in the US today, being an African-American, we got people that want to go back to 1952 and actually prevent African-Americans from voting just yeah. because we don't vote for them. So they'll go and close our, our polls. So we can all, all have to go to one multiple yeah. counties have to go to one. Now, how is that right? Like for American citizens, but they want to act like, Oh, cause we don't vote for you. We're less of a citizen. And so th- that that's the kind of mindset that's going on today. And people think it's okay there's certain people who think that's, that's fine because oh, you guys are no good anyway. <laughs> so th- th- there's very, very segmented things going on. It's like the most uh, segmented I've seen since the 70s. I'm not a child of the 70s, I'm 55 years old. I grew up with busing. I grew up with people yelling the N word at me because they didn't want me in school. Now I look today and my daughter, 22 year old daughter, we walking down the street and we get one of these MAGA people, yelling the n-word at my daughter so and they had the maga and the trump flag so Mm. it don't feel any different to me than when 72 well how is that it's the 21st century in 1972 somebody didn't like me going to school in a desegregated school 2022 we got somebody with with a maga hat on saying they don't do the n-word to my daughter yeah so it doesn't look like they've progressed that much no. You know, so so that's the problem. That's a, that people in the world need to understand that there is a problem in the USA right now. We, we've got a significant problem. And as an African-American, I, I feel very confident saying it because I live it. Yeah. There are people that are not very empathetic and don't understand history. And they seem to be doomed to repeat the mistakes of 1864 and 65. That, that's what they seem to want to do. And that the world needs to understand how how crazy these people could be. One six was an example. If they keep on going that way, we could end up being very unstable.
1: In the yeah, future. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I I think what you say is uh, is totally true. That the the craziness of it of it just seems so obvious in in, in my point of view. Right. I'm not I'm not coming from here. I get, I get to kind of like come from outside and look at it. And it seems like totally crazy to think that some behavior that has not served the nation, maybe in the past is repeated. You know, it's just like a dysfunctional relationship where I end the relationship with one partner and I begin the other one with the same, the same issues without, without looking inside and maybe seeing what is, what is my part? What is my responsibility in this, you know? So it is. It is uh, a little.
0: Yeah, we have a lot of codependency. You know, there's a lot of people who are kind of stuck in that same abusive situation, and to keep on repeating it because, like, you know, the problem is like the people didn't learn the lesson. You know, Dr. King. You know, he he left us. You know, uh, RFK, JFK left us, and then what do we? We got Nixon. Then we got Reagan. <laughs> And now we've got Trump. It's like, okay, where's the learning? There's, like, there's no learning. There's, like, yeah. there's people who want to go back before Kennedy. They want to go back before Dr. King. They want to go back before RFK. And they say, well, that's better. Really? <laughs> it's like, it's like that's the problem. If you think about the timeline, it's like, yeah. okay, we, we had Dr. King. We had RFK. We had DFK. And now you want to say, oh, that, those were bad. We got to go to before those guys, <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's a, it's, a, it's a kind of a mind numbing, but, but that there are people out there, that's what they think. And, uh, you know, we, as, uh, people who are more empathetic have to understand, like everybody counts immigrants make our country to go and, and use them as toys in a game, you know, to try to say, Oh, you, you know, we don't like these people. You know, we had governors shuffling people around as chess, pl- like, like pawns on a chessboard, to point people. Oh, these, and they they were refugees, <laughs> moving refugees around, like pawns. Yeah, to, the point a political point that you're you're certain groups of people. Oh, I don't like immigrants, so we can use them like chessboard game on the game and move them around. You know that that that's not being empathetic. That's not being forward thinking. This whole country was made on all these different people coming into a melting pot, but now they're acting like that's the bad thing. That's yeah. like the best thing about America. That that's like, like the whole point of it, in my opinion. But I kind of went off.
1: <laughs> no, that that's okay. You know, I feel just like the, the it is. It is easy to get carried away. It's just like always. I always try to go back to how can I improve the situation. How can I be how can I be the change that I want to see, you know? And, um, when you, when you had been speaking, I, I just heard the inner voice, uh, one of my teachers, Wayne Dyer, he said that inch by inch, we're making progress. You know, it doesn't look like it, but it's just like one small step after the other. It's, it's getting, it's getting there, you know? So we, don't, <laughs> I don't know if, if it's enough time for, uh, the globe to, to, uh, transform in time. Um, but, in, in, in my point of view, I'm doing just the best I can, you know, to connect with people and to give, give a hand out when I can and to be uh, compassionate. And if like that is that might be like from a certain point of view, that might sound like, like a very privileged pr- point of view where, where I haven't suffered some of the systemic uh, problems that other people have. But at least this is my experience and the experience that I had. I I was my my worst enemy in that sense, you know, so I'm I'm also more loving with myself. And through that, I can be more loving with others and and um, do my best in helping, you know. So that's that's all I can do.
0: I think this might be a good point to ask you this question. Like if you're going to sp- if you were going to speak to your 25 year old self, what advice would you have for him? Because like you kind of hinted at some things with your past. So maybe that's a good kind of segue to that question.
1: Yeah. So um, my twenty-five-year-old, I would say, um, follow your heart, which is not the guarantee that everything's going to work out fine. You know, there will be pain, there will be suffering, but. Um, it is it is it is the 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 path that led me continuously to be who i am today and um i could have i could have started on that earlier if i wouldn't have looked at who am i who is it i need to um kind of like whose expectations do i need to fulfill and to look outside for what what people want from me and rather than that to just say well do what, what what is your calling, you know, don't hold back. I did a lot of the times, I did what I what what I felt was was my calling, but I always held back in in being afraid of how others might perceive me and maybe not fulfilling the expectations of my parents or friends or whoever. And so I feel that would be my my advice to myself to start on that path of of personal fulfillment earlier rather than to trying to achieve something first i i did wait until i was 30 to complete my college degree and then i said okay when i'm 30 when i when i when i uh when i have checked that box i can make music for 5 years and i can can give it all you know instead of doing that from the get go and say well music is my big passion i'll just i'll just do it you know so that as maybe a small example
0: Yeah. I think that's a good uh, point because a lot of people like their parents kind of make, you know, the goals for them and you kind of have to step up and challenge your grandparents or parents or people around you that they they have expectations and like they, you kind of, they put you on a, like, Oh, they put you on a law school track, but you don't want to be a lawyer. Well, if you want to be an artist, but they, Oh, that's, that's not real. Right. Being a painter, how are you going to make money? Yeah. So, so then they don't want you to do that. So then you feel like, okay, well, I'll go and do this because they want me to do it. But, you know, at the end of the day, when you get into your thirties, you're like, well, I never really wanted to do that. (laughs) You say, looking in the looking glasses, like that, this is not the me. I don't want to be wearing the suit and tie. I don't want to be in corporate America in this glass tower. I want to be in the art gallery. And my parents kind of forced me to this, and well, you know, it's by fault. I shouldn't have listened to them. But you know, there's a lot of pressure. Yeah, you know, your parents, that's the ultimate peer pressure. I mean, it's more yeah. than peer pressure. It's like your parents are telling you this and you gotta do it. <laughs> so, like, is that was that like the feeling that you couldn't get out from under that 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 kind of expectation that they were setting an expectation that was really hard to get out from under. Or to I kind think... of a difference. I think
1: um as a, as I mentioned before my my inner judge my inner judgment was probably I don't think my parents ever said I couldn't drop it out or do anything you know drop so out. I felt like I have to do this because I uh when when I when I finished high school I started as uh, in police academy and canceled that after 2 years kind of broke it off and then went to the United States as an au pair went back to germany and started college and when i looked at the the interval of time that i already wasted that is what my da- what my dad said that he really said but um, other than that he had no judgments on that he just said you can't afford to waste any more time you know so that that sentence in a sense stuck with me where i felt like no i can't i can't drop out of high uh, out of college now because then i don't have anything except my high school degree right so yeah yeah it was more my inner inner judge that uh forbade me to to stop and and start making music and and i needed so much more time i needed 6 years for a bachelor degree made music all the time didn't go to any classes. I could have, you know, I could have done much, much more music when I when I would have decided to do it, you know. So, yeah, in a sense, that's a that's a good question to just give it give it give it the full attention, you know. Don't hold back. That's uh, my advice.
0: So, um, who who was your um the mentors? Who are the mentors that you looked to, um, the kind of role models that inspire you today? I mean, are they different than when you were 25 or are they the same?
1: They, they changed, you know, from being uh artist, music artists. Uh, I've always been looking up to, to musicians, to uh, spiritual teachers, but basically they're, they're the same, you know, they live, they live their passion. They went their way. They, they did, they promoted their, um, the, 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 the things that they promoted so early on i was i would i, I talked to you about this in, in our pre-interview dave Grohl has been a huge huge influence for me because he's such a inspiring artist you know he's just like psych like a creative super machine who's, who keeps on creating 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 yeah, and he didn't um, get
0: dissuaded by you know what happened you know
1: because if some musicians something that tragic
0: happens they don't recover Yeah, you know, and and they can't find a way. And he created something that got bigger, you know, and and more sustainable than than his original band. You know, and there's a lot of purists. So Nirvana's this, and I understand it. Like Nirvana's like looked at like the Beatles, yeah. You know, because they are. I mean, they're they're fantastic, but they ever grow? What he had been able to do since then is dynamically amazing. You know, and I I do like really look to him because he came out of that sub pop scene how many of those sub-pop bands are around? You know, they're not Pearl around. Jam,
1: maybe. <laughs> well,
0: Pearl, well, Pearl Jam, they were kind of like in their own world. But yeah, yeah they, they survived, but, you know, Stone Temple Pilots and uh, all the other bands kind of fell off. I mean, I love Soundgarden, but look what happened. That same, you know, kind of tragedy. But um, it's it, it seems like the, the the his his drive, uh, and I was like very enamored by Sound City. And like when he went and grabbed that Neve board, out of that studio and then brought it to his house because he's like, I'm going to keep this thing going. Yeah. I thought that was awesome because he understood what it meant, you know, what that, that board and it, maybe people don't get it, but that soundboard was such a high quality thing. And it made things sound so, so amazing because of his analog nature and hand built nature. And he saved it from being destroyed and put it in his house and it's actually being used on modern recordings and, you know, to me as a sound, like a historian, music historian, it's very critical to have, th- you know, core pieces of music legacy, you know, retained and kept alive. And I thought that was a really cool thing he did that maybe people don't understand, but that was a really important piece. He saved like a big music production piece of equipment and actually kept it going and it kept it reconditioned and uses it to this day.
1: Yeah and i think additionally when when we look at just at the music that flowed through that you know there is it has in the the hawaiian concept of energies mana so there's so much so much energy that went through that all these artists all this kind of all this creative juice went Mm -hmm. through that board you know and so i feel i feel i i share your yeah uh, i went to that
0: board you know you know vana went to it Fleetwood mac like you know, Tom Petty, all these bands went through that board, and it's like kind of like like you know like mugs and stuff. It's like analog circuitry is is kind of alive, and I, I try to tell people who are into digital, it's like it is something about it that has a lot of character, and it's like you know it's like the ghost in the machine. Like you know, that's mm-hmm. why I'm so fan of electric ghosts. It's like the electricity in my mugs. I feel like they're members of my band. Yeah, when I'm playing with this old tech tech, it feels like I actually have a person playing with me that it's not just some digital machine it feels like there's somebody there that there's something inside like a spirit inside these machines Mm -hmm. and if i I, that's why you know my band is called you know phantom because i'm kind of feels like i feel like i'm playing with phantoms
1: (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely But, uh, but
0: uh I feel that, but yeah, they kind of go off. I think, I still think that what we're talking about is it has synergy because of, you know, people are all, oh, what's the, you're talking about two different things. They're like, not necessarily, <laughs> but uh, so one of the things uh, that we wanted to get into is you had a statement that was interesting to me. It's like, if you can meet one person dead or alive, who would it be? Um, that you would—it was a question you wanted to be asked. So wh- who would, who, who do you mind for that question? The answer to that question.
1: So what is my answer? I didn't—I didn't feel the yeah, whole question. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. the question, like that you were ready to answer was—it said if you could meet one person dead yeah. or alive, who would it be?
1: You know that 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 is such. I love that question, but it's so difficult for me to answer. And it depends on the time of the day. Probably having talked with you all day about music—not all day, but maybe for the last hour—it uh, would definitely be Bob Molly. But um, other than that, there's uh, there's um, there's so many people I would love to meet. You know, but Bob Molly is definitely these. He's probably I have this. List of artists and bands I wanted to see, and I think the list is pretty much it's worked through. I've seen all the bands that that kind of were around when I was the when when they were still around, you know. Mm-hmm. But Bob Marley is the only artist I will never and never got to see, you know. So I would say it's definitely him. I would have loved to talk to Jimi Hendrix
0: about mm-hmm. the one thing I wanted. I always wanted to talk to him about was like first rays of the new rising sun which was the album that was supposed to happen after electric lady. And I, I've kind of built it over time from what I've read about what it should have been. And, and what I found was that it was a fantastic idea. And and, and people, the thing that always got me up about Hendrix, was people are trying to act like he was all washed up
1: mm-hmm.
0: at the end. And he was working on that record. And if you actually find the, the tracks that were going to make up that record, it showed he wasn't washed up at all he was going in this progressive rock fusion jazz very like you know he was going like like a direction like yes in pink floyd he was going mm-hmm. in and in, in, in it was like like weather report he was going in a different direction like zappa he was going that way he probably would have played with zappa i mean that to me has always been this thing where i kind of hate the way he got tied you know tagged at the end that he was all washed up, and everything you listen to, if you check all the all the old tapes' it's, it's not the case <laughs> he was twenty seven yes. years old he was just starting yeah
1: yeah, yeah, so so that you would love to talk to him about that about the the development yeah. of the
0: yeah, that's where he was headed because yeah. it was unfinished, and I would have liked to see that full vision, you know, yeah, of where he thought he was going, yeah,
1: yeah. I mean probably so that's just my point of view but society has to discredit artists at some point because they cannot just say well here's this tragic story and this person had his had had everything together in a sense you know so it, there needs to be some sort of stigma that it is added to the person so that people are afraid of making making <laughs> following that path or something
0: Following the same yeah. path. But yeah, yeah sometimes like, they, if you're, you know, the people who are at the, you know, I guess they're, they're like um, pioneers and they're at the edge. Like people used to say, well, Janice, Hendrix, and Morrison were all pushing it. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens when you push it. Like they were pushing it way beyond what you should push. And that you got to, it's like cautionary tale. But I always look at it like, well, you know, art. Art, you know great artists are going to push it your painters pushed it actors pushed it you know sometimes in your craft it's not all about living it's about like and maybe that's not cool and maybe that's not a positive thing for you to to stay around but as an artist sometimes that's the way it goes yeah <laughs> there's like a zenith thing maybe you shouldn't be like a, a method actor maybe you shouldn't go that extreme maybe you shouldn't be like a morrison or hendricks or Joplin but we all benefit from their art. You know. So you gotta kind of like look both sides of the coin.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. So you know to live long is that is that the only thing what the point of life is. <laughs> yeah, you know, sometimes like it's, it's like you know, you can make arguments about it, and people like oh I don't want people burning out if they don't need to burn out, but
1: I I would assume that um these These artists lived the only way they knew how to you know to, with their yeah. creativity and they just they just lived and it led them to something that is from from a very centered point of view of society, maybe uh, something that is not worth pursuing, but to them, they were struggling i I would imagine when I when I look at, at my own life, I was struggling and I was I had music that helped me express these feelings and this kind of like, and and so it seems like these, these artists just expressed themselves and lived their way that did the only way they knew how to, and um, their lives ended earlier than, than other people's lives who just go on cruise control through, through life doing something.
0: Yeah. I mean, it depends. I mean, if you're a creative person, and you're, you're kind of at the, at the, you're at this level where you're like exceptional and you're like, you're living in a zone and maybe you got, you're overconfident and maybe you take more risk than other people. So you tend to walk that kind of razor edge mm-hmm. and you, you don't consider like that anything could happen. And these people were all like in their 27s, you know, their 27. So yeah, there's a lot of bravado when you're young, you take risks. It's kind of the nature of young people. That's why insurance companies don't want like rate you high. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
1: because
0: yeah. You, because you might, you might, it's not only them. It's like young people tend to not think all the way through. It's like, yeah, yeah. you learn, you know, and, and you know, that those are extreme examples. But I think sometimes you have to look at people who are actually willing to make a choice, willing to make a decision. Like sometimes you sit there and say, well, I'm not going to do that because it's too scary or I'm not going to put myself out in front of people. I'm not going to express myself. Yeah. There's always a danger. When you when you actually open up and let the world see you you yeah. can get hurt by it and then it can affect you and make you go into something and, and so but you know it better I think it's better to let it out than to keep it in absolutely it. that that's my life lesson there <laughs>
1: <laughs> absolutely yeah. and maybe maybe as one quote from Wayne Dyer that I really love he says don't die with your music still in you you know just just let it out bring the bring it into the world that's bring bring your uniqueness your sound your voice your whatever it is you came here bring it bring it and share it with with everyone and then uh, don't regret holding do not doing it you know if i if i look back uh and imagine looking back having lived my life and 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 realizing that there, there could have been i could have i could have sung you know i could have brought my voice out and i didn't i choose not to i choose to hide then uh, that is a depressing thought for me. So I know I always, I always gave it all uh, as much as I could at that time.
0: Well, I want everybody to um, thank uh, you for being on the show today and check out your, the Light Trails link there. It's going to be active when we publish. And um, I, I want everybody, anytime I have a podcast, I, I do encourage people to click the link that we are supporting. They are clickable once we publish. And um, this will be on the YouTube and all the other places we are on tonight, Twitter um, and Twitch, and we'll also be on Spotify video podcast and Apple podcast later tonight. And I uh, thank you for being on the show. It was thank it was so a great. Much. It was a great conversation. I think you know it, it, we went off into a lot of different yeah like zones, but you know that's yeah, yeah. like, yeah, that's that's like
1: life. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> thank you so much. It was was a great pleasure to be here. Thank you.
0: Well, thank you. Have a have a good uh, rest of the uh, day because it's like still in the middle of the day for you. It's my evening time, but thank you and uh, aloha. Aloha. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I forgot the other thing I should say, but that's, that's what I should say. a <laughs> <laughs> so good night um, for everybody here on the East Coast, and we'll we'll talk to everybody again. Thank you very much for uh, watching Family Ghost, and uh, we'll be out there talking to everybody again. Uh, Be safe out there. Thank you very much for being on the show.